Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Live with CDP podcast on this Tuesday, January 24th in uh, snowy Guelph. Uh, just one second, guys. Just fixing my chair here. I just want to say thank you to everybody for watching Live with CDP podcast today. And I'm looking forward to bringing my guest on. Uh, just one second. I'm going to be bringing him on shortly. Tonight's guest is Joey Batano. He's a vice president of communications and broadcasting and play-by-play voice for the OHL's Saginaw Spirit. And I'm looking forward to speaking to Joey about his career in TV and radio and also uh, talk about a little bit about how the uh, Saginaw Spirit are doing so far in this 21-22 season and how much the uh, pandemic has impacted uh, the OHL schedule as well. So if you guys can just give me one moment, I'm going to bring on the uh, voice of the Saginaw Spirits, Joey Botano. Hey, Joey, how you doing? Hey, good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on, by the way. It's it's my pleasure. I, I appreciate the invitation and uh, happy happy to oblige. And one of my friends who's uh, with the spirits watching this game today, uh, Dick. Oh, good. Dick. <laughs> so. I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that even in Guelph, you guys have some some friends over there that are from the spirit. Well, yes, definitely. And uh, what I'm trying to do with my podcast too, I love sports, obviously, but I'm I'm trying to get as many guys from the around the OHL to come on too. And and I'm lucky to be a part of it, a small part of it, with being uh, with Rogers TV as a camera operator for the Gulf Storm games. You know what? Then and our television partnership with our local community outlets, Rogers, Kojiko, uh, around the league is so important when it comes to the exposure of the of the league. So. The league certainly appreciates the work. And I know myself personally, even though we're not on one of those stations, obviously in the US, we have our own uh, our own network, essentially, of, of people who are employed by the team that that behind the scenes do a great job for us in, in putting on our, our games so that people in Ontario, families, fans, etc., can all watch the Saginaw Spirit home games, which is great because five, six years ago, we, we didn't have that. So it's uh, it's nice to be able to provide that as well. And then, uh, obviously, people can tune in on the on the internet now, and uh, also listen to your games on the radio. What's uh, what are your games carried on on radio wise in Saginaw? We're very lucky. We have a great partnership with uh, WSGW, which is a local uh, FM talk and sports station. So we are on the FM dial, which is which is great. And then, of course, uh, their streaming of the station, whether it be on their website, which is wsgw.com, and they also have. Uh, an affiliation with iHeartRadio as well. So there's a lot of different ways to to stream our broadcast at home and on the road. And uh, we're, we're very lucky. We have great television and radio partners with the Spirit and have for a long time. Okay. And I was going to say, uh, I was just thinking about this today. It's hard to believe the, the Saginaw Spirit have been there 20 years now. Because I remember when the franchise moved from North Bay and I was like, I don't know how well they'll do in Michigan, but uh, 20 years, they've been pretty successful. 
Yeah, and I think the the biggest part of that is is ownership. You know, when, when Dick Garber bought the team and, and brought them to Saginaw, he was first of all he is very ingrained in the community here. He owns many local car dealerships, not only here in Saginaw but also Chicago and as far as Delray and Florida. So he's uh, kind of all over the map. But uh, Saginaw is home to him, and and it was very important to him to. Uh, right some wrongs in the hockey community that had gone on previous to the Saginaw spirit when there were some different pro hockey teams here in the late eighties and nineties, uh, that didn't work out. And so when the spirit did come here in the early two thousands, uh, he, he made a, uh, he invested a great deal of money right off the bat to improve the arena. And then when I got here in 2015, he made another investment in the arena, uh, putting in a new video board and also all, essentially a brand new locker room. So uh, even though the, the Dow Event Center is up there in years, uh, you would get on the inside and you wouldn't know it. And especially all the all the um, areas that are inhabited by the spirit are, are first class and, and up to date. And Dick Garber and, and the ownership group here in Saginaw is the reason for that. So it's it's been a great success and and it seems to be growing. Uh, certainly that long playoff run we had in 2000 uh, in 2019 helped uh, yeah. locally drive some more interest into the program. And unfortunately, uh, you know, it seemed like the the pandemic might have stopped what could have been a, a pretty good run for us. So we're we're almost back to square one here building again, but uh we got there once, so there's no reason to believe that we can't get there again. Absolutely. And I was thinking once things get better with this pandemic and it's a lot easier to cross the states again, I my goal is to go to games in Erie, Flint, and Saginaw because I've been lucky to have Sean on from the Otters, Jack on from the, the Firebirds, and now yourself. And I, I'd like to try to do as many OHL arenas in the next, hopefully the next year or so as well. It's a great league for that. Chris, because every building in the league seems to have its own character, whether even if it's one of the newer buildings in the league, like even Niagara or even Mississauga is relatively new. But, you know, you go to the Kitchener's and, and the Odd and and even Budweiser Gardens, which, again, is a relatively newer building, but it's, it has that certain feeling when you walk in. Um, it, there's some really great buildings in our league and even the Bayshore, which is up there in years and and uh it, it but it has a unique like character about it. it it's a good league for that and i would definitely encourage you to come to the american markets because it's uh it's a different hockey experience uh than it is in in ontario i think the fans are different in terms of the way they react to certain situations uh certainly you look at flint erie and saginaw are all former professional hockey markets uh and in a time where Hockey was a little more rough and tumble than it is now. And so uh, it's a, especially, uh, well, I, I think all three, Erie, Flint, and Saginaw, you, you could have a, a very, you know, ruckus atmosphere. And and I think, again, I think a lot of people got a taste of that for the first time when, when Saginaw made their deep playoff run and saw what this building is really all about and how big of a home ice advantage it is for the spirit uh, when there's, 4,500, 5,000 people in the building. It's uh, it's an intimidating place to play, and and the same goes for Flint and Erie when it's a full building for sure. Um, I'm so glad to see there's more stability with Flint, and the, and the franchise is heading in the right direction as well. I was kind of worried when they moved from Plymouth, which was an established market, 
for a long time into Flint, but it seems like the last couple of years, the Firebirds have got more stability from ownership. And it seems like the, the franchise is heading in the, uh, up the, um, positive direction. Yeah. You know what? And I, I mean, I can't speak to, I, I, you know, I'm not around the Firebirds day to day, but I can speak to the market because I did work in Flint previously in my career for five years. And it's, it's a great hockey market and it's, uh, there's good hockey fans there. There's people that have been around the game for a long time that work in, in Flint and, and attend the games in Flint. It's funny because I worked for the Flint generals their very last year of existence in 2009, 10. And some of those fans that were going to the games, then I still see them now, you know, going to firebirds games and they're ticket holders and they're supporting the team. And, you know, obviously we're competitors on the ice. Uh, but when I see things like that and I see those fans that are there and they're still rooting on their home team, it, it makes you feel good. And you feel good about the situation for them when you see that, that, you know, since then there's been two different hockey teams in Flint uh, and, and they've, it seems like this is the right fit. They, they've, they've made the renovations in the building. Uh, it's a good level of hockey for, for that city. And uh, it, Hey, they're they're having a great year. They they look like they could be a team that 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 goes a long way here this year. I was gonna say, me. I don't know if the league will look at it this year or even next year. But would you think it would be a good idea for the OHL to maybe possibly have a couple more U.S. based teams instead of having three? Maybe eventually try for maybe six, maybe possibly. I think, yeah, Chris. I, I think to. I think ideally you'd want a WHL setup where there's a U.S. division. And, and I think now we're seeing what the benefits of that could have been with with the pandemic and, and the limited travel right now. If there was, yeah, even one or two more American franchises, you know, this this in a, in a way wouldn't have affected us at all uh, if we would have had a schedule formatted to to have a U.S. division. So. Yeah, something something worth you know looking at in, in the future. Um, certainly, they'd have to be northeast based or yeah. midwest based cities, um, and then you'd have to go the route of you know, do you adventure into an NHL market? Is that market too oversaturated in the northeast? These are all questions that people you know much higher than me and <laughs> little over my pay grade, but uh, it's fun to talk about because I think. It, I think maybe now more than ever, given the circumstances, it would be something to definitely take a look at for the future stability of the Ontario Hockey League and the any three American-based teams that are currently in the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, I, I really think the Buffalo area could support an OHL team, and I think it would be great because they'd be close to Niagara, close to Hamilton, and close to Erie as well. I agree with you. I, I think that's the... That's like the the obvious, it would seem as if Buffalo area, we don't know if it would be like in Buffalo or not, but the Buffalo area would be the ideal area and an area that would be familiar with the Ontario Hockey League product given Niagara, given Hamilton, given Mississauga and, and the area close to it. I think you'd have a lot of natural rivalries, as you said. And, you know, it would all be dependent on what the standard would be for an OHL building because the Sabres do have that practice facility where they've, you know, held uh, prospects tournaments and things of that nature. 
Uh, I don't know if it seats enough for an OHL franchise, but again, it's uh, it's an option. And and there's been other cities that have been, believe me, we're not the first people to, to talk about this. So there's been some other cities that have been floated around, but I think you're right. If, if we were spitballing here and had to name a city, I would say the Buffalo or Buffalo area would probably make the most sense. Definitely. Uh, before I get into some questions, uh, we already talked about your owner, Richard Goober. Um, how often does Jimmy Davilano and Chris Osgood, do you see them around the arena once in a while? With their, with their schedules? Yeah, like limited uh, as of late. Like since the pandemic, obviously, it, it, the travel is a little more difficult. Uh, Jimmy's retired now, and, and uh, I believe he's moved down to Florida permanently. So he he comes in every once in a while. And I know our, our general manager has conversations with, with Jimmy quite often. So, yeah, he. I mean, I don't know how much input he has on day-to-day decisions that are made, but it's more of a, I think, like maybe a mentorship role where Jimmy uh, – is giving some advice to people, which he, first of all, what an amazing hockey mind and, and probably will go down in history as one of the, the greatest hockey executives to ever live when it's all said and done. And, and he was, I mean, he is a great guy in the times that I've met him. We've had good conversations as well over the years. And uh, it was just, it was a blast to just pick his brain about, everything to do with hockey and uh he's super open too which was uh which was really neat and then with chris osgood he was great you know again with his he's taken on a little bit larger role i think with with valley sports and and covering the red wings basically working every night uh, and then traveling now as well a little bit so we saw chris a little bit more uh earlier on when he first took ownership stake in the team but uh, we'll talk every once in a while. And uh, yeah, he was super helpful right off the bat, especially with his broadcast experience that he has and, and just like giving some pointers as well. And, and then obviously on the hockey side of things, an accomplished goaltender uh, was great uh, to bounce some idea. I believe Evan Cormier was our goalie at the time and, and, and he would you know give some ideas to Evan. So yeah, both guys were really involved off the start, and 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 now a little bit lesser, but but certainly uh, still involved with the team. Just maybe not so much day to day. Okay, and I was gonna say he. Had, I still think he's a hockey Hall of Fame goalie with his uh, three Stanley Cups and four hundred plus wins. So I hope one day he does get in. But I've seen some of his work on Belly Sports with Detroit, and uh, I think he's uh, really fit in well uh, with uh, uh, John Keating on Belly Sports with his personality it's he's he's good at it he's really good and uh i i enjoy it too i i think he does a really good job and i'm glad that he's taken on more you know he's got a lot of insight to give and goalies have a really unique perspective of the game i think that's why they make such good analysts because they're seeing the entire play on -hmm. any given night at the nhl level and so when it comes to dissecting it in real time, that's why guys like Darren Pang and Brian Boucher, and you can go down the list of all the goalies that are analysts or former goalies that are analysts now, Chris Osgood being one of them, they just have a knack for being able to dissect the play in an instant because that was how they made a living for so many years doing it in the NHL. So good to see his success. Uh, I, yeah, you're right. I enjoy it. I, I watch the Red Wings broadcast quite often and, uh, continued success for him it's uh again he i grew up a red wings fan right so same here, same yeah here. so to yeah. uh 
and, and I was born in the in the early '90s. I was born actually in 1990. So it's uh, so Chris Osgood is is the guy I watched growing up. And my favorite Red Wing teams as a kid yeah. were usually the net was tended by Chris Osgood. So it's uh, it's it's really cool to for him like to be an owner of the team, and now I get to say you know Chris Osgood in a way is my boss. So it's uh, it's kind of neat. Yeah, he's the same age as me, and when I played goalie when I was younger, much younger, I wore number 30, so I related to Chris Osgood age-wise, and the fact that gold goalie is what I like to play when I played hockey, and uh, number 30 is what I wore, so. Did you uh, wear the did you wear the helmet-cage combination, too, or no? Uh, yep, 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 <laughs> yep, yep. Okay. Yep. And I also, when I started playing hockey back in the early eighties, obviously I wasn't good enough to play pro or OHL. I uh, remember my late father buying me Cooperalls hockey pants. Oh yeah. The so actual I, pants. Yeah. The Cooperall hockey pants. If you ever Google it or look on YouTube, you'll see the flyers, the whalers, and then a lot of OHL teams had Cooperalls back in the our early eighties. But uh, one thing is when you got tripped or fell on the ice, that was still flooded those pants would send you flying. Oh, I bet. I bet oh, yeah. they had the vinyl on the outside yeah. of them, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I had them for about a year or whatever. But, uh, yeah, as for uh, goalie, I love playing goalie uh, because you were on the ice the whole time and you were a big part of a team's success if you did well or you didn't do well. Sure. I, I, there's a lot of pressure that comes with being a goalie too because, you know, the the team could be playing well and – you know, maybe you go five, six minutes without any action yeah. and, and you get a tough shot point blank and it goes in and, and everybody throws their hands in the air and says he should have had it. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's not an easy gig to, to be a goalie in the OHL and, and, the and the leagues higher than that. Once you get to pro, it, it just gets harder and harder. So, um, I give goalies a lot of credit for yes. a lot of different things because it's a very tough day to day and people forget it's not just the games too i mean these guys are standing in there every day in practice and taking shot after shot after shot and then they get in the game and then in the game they might face 40 or 50 shots so it's a it's a tough gig definitely okay i'll just get to some questions um let's see the first one i wanted to ask you can you just tell my audience here in guelph uh, a little bit about yourself and when did you decide decided to pursue a career in broadcasting well, I mean, as most people who, you know, get into the game of hockey, I started, I was playing as a kid and it was, you know, it became clear as time went on that it wasn't going to get me anywhere that I wanted to get it, uh, that I wanted to get to, I guess I should say. And uh, so I started to try to come up with ways to to stay in the game. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um I wasn't a big school guy, so my grades weren't great in high school, and uh, I wasn't sure about college. Gone on a couple of visits, but I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel great about going to school for another four years or six years or whatever it may be, right? So I, I, uh, I started to, you know, come up with some different things that I, I, I didn't have the credentials to really, you know, coach or anything like that, right? So I was trying to be creative and come up with ways to stay in the game. And I found myself, you know, I took a, a, a telecommunications course at a vocational school that was, uh, we would leave our high school and go to it uh, a couple hours a day when I was in high school. And there was a little bit on camera work that came with that too. And I found myself like really enjoying the sports side of it. 
and not being super intimidated by being on camera. You know, I was a little nervous at first, but once it like once the sh once the light went on, uh, I was able to do this, you know, pretty easily. And and so there wasn't that initial, you know, freeze that some people get by being on camera. So I, I think that's the intimidation of it. Right? If you can get past that, you're you're on your way. And so I had a good conversation with my my teacher and 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 about what I wanted to do and. You know, he just told me in, in high school that he thought that there was a chance that, you know, if I wanted to pursue this, that there would be an opportunity uh, to, to do it professionally. And so I, uh, I took that advice and I went to, uh, unfortunately, I don't buy, I believe it's merged now with Lawrence Tech, but uh, I went to a school called Specs Howard Broadcast School of Broadcast Arts, and uh, it was specific for broadcasting. Every day uh, we would do a different area of broadcasting, whether it was behind the camera, in front of the camera, sports, weather, news, etc. cetera. Uh, we'd have to do different video editing projects. And so you basically learned everything there was to know about the day-to-day -day in television and or radio. And so I actually wanted to pursue a career in television. I, I wanted to be a sports reporter. At least that's what I came up with when I you know left that school 10 months later. And as time went on, you know, I had graduated in June or July and, and it was, it was getting into August and, and I think it was late August in 2009 and I was 18 years old and, and I, you know, I didn't hear anything and I was starting to wonder if I'd made a mistake, like if, if this was even for me, you know, I, I didn't get any internships. A lot of my classmates were getting internships at local news stations, et cetera. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I got a call from, uh, my career advisor over at the school and said, you know, I have this hockey job that just came across my desk and it's for play-by-play. -play. And I had never done play-by-play -play professionally, obviously in my life. Um, but what I did used to do when I was younger, and I think a lot of kids can relate to this now, is on my video games, whether it be you know, NHL 04 or 05 or whatever, I would turn down Jim Houston's commentary, which I'm, he's one of the best. So no offense <laughs> taken uh, or no offense given on that. But uh, I would turn down Jim Houston. I would call the game myself like as it was happening. And that was where I got my early reps. And I remember the first uh, exhibition game I did. It was Flint versus Port Huron in a, in a rink called the Polar Palace that no longer exists. And uh and I, I, you know, screamed into a computer for three hours and, and that was my demo tape and, uh, generals hired me and, and I've, I've been lucky. I've been gainfully employed ever since. And it's, uh, it's a great gig and I'm, I'm extremely lucky to, to work in hockey, but that's kind of how it started. It was just a love of the game that I, I just didn't want to give it up. And I, I would have done just about anything to stay in it. And that first year with Flint, with the generals in 09, I did do just about every, anything and everything uh, involved in hockey. Yeah. When I was younger back in the, well, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, I did okay in school and went to college for lawn security, but I, I always liked broadcasting, but unfortunately back in the nineties, they didn't have this technology of podcasting right. and there wasn't the opportunities with Rogers TV to volunteer. So a couple of years ago, I got a taste of um, doing some camera work for our local basketball team here. And uh, I liked it. They actually paid me for it. They referred me to Rogers TV 
and they took a chance on me as a 47 year old man doing camera work for the storm. And, um, and after I started doing camera work with them, I said I wanted to start a podcast. And uh, ever since, I've been doing a podcast almost two years now and and loving doing this and being on the camera or behind the camera as well. And I'm hoping I get an opportunity from doing the podcast and being with Rogers in radio one day. Hey, Chris, you're never too old to start in this business, man. I mean, that's the one thing that I learned. Uh, or You're never too old and you're never too young. And that's what people told me right off the bat when I was 18 and I got into it and I was in pro hockey and I was way out of my depth. Like, honestly, I was way, I can say that now looking back on it, I was way out of my depth. I didn't have the experience to be there, uh, but I had the confidence to be there. And and I think that's sometimes half the battle. And I, I learned a lot from, you know, it was only a seven team league back then when the IHL, but there were some, you know, Bob, the great Bob Chase, the broadcaster for the Fort Wayne Comets was, was, you know, rest his soul. He was still, still alive and still calling games back then. And, and, you know, Terry Ficarelli was in Muskegon. He's been around forever in pro hockey and Dennis Stuckey was in Port Huron and he was instrumental in early on. And these guys had 15, 20 years in the business. Bob Chase had 40, 50, maybe even 60 years in the business when, you know, when I was in the league back then. And, and, these guys were, they were great to me. They were unbelievable and they didn't thumb their nose at me and treat me like a snot nosed kid. They, they gave me an opportunity to, to learn. And I tried to soak up as much as I could from those guys. And I'm glad I did because as soon as, you know, the generals folded at the end of the year and I've been working in junior hockey ever since. And maybe I wouldn't have had the influences that I did. If it wasn't for that one year, you know, in pro hockey with all those guys that had all that experience. <laughs> and I was going to say, um, when I started my podcast, the first four months, I wasn't very good and I had trouble getting people to come on. But then ever since I've been getting three to five guests on a week and guys like Ken Daniels and Dan Shalman and, and, um, Tom McCarthy from the NFL and CBS and the Phillies and it's and yourself and Mike Stubbs. Uh, two guys that you uh, I really like is those guys in London, even though they uh, they are a rivalry of the storm. <laughs> Mike Stubbs and Jim Van Horn are really uh, great guys to have on. And Jim, especially speaking to me about what I'm trying to do as well. Yeah, well, yeah, Jim, the both of those guys are incredible. I mean, we're, we're really lucky in the OHL where we have so many guys that that do that. And I should say people that do this because there, there's women who also are involved in broadcasting in the OHL. There's so many women and, and men that do this that are unbelievable people. Uh, and and Mike Stubbs and Jim Van Horn, no different. They're they're great guys. And I'm looking forward to I Hopefully we'll finally see them. I think we've had a couple weekends here against the Knights that have gotten postponed. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really, you know, I got my fingers crossed that I'm finally going to see them this year. It's been a, a long time. But uh, they're great guys, you know, Mike Farwell and and, uh, yes, and Chris, Chris Pope, Pope and, and yep. Kitchener are unbelievable guys. Larry Malott, this guy's been around a long time. He was great yep. to me when I first got in this league in 2015. I mean, I was still a pretty young kid then. And, uh, you know, he was good to me right off the start. So, like I said, I I, mean, I can name everybody, but it's uh, it's a good league to be a part of. And, and they're, you know. There's guys, and even Freddie Wallace and, and Owen Sound, there's guys that have been doing it for a long time in this league uh, that are really good people and, and have a lot of expertise to share. And how could I – there's two guys that I have to mention because I can't forget Jim Gilchrist in Kingston because 
first of all, unbelievable guy, and he's been around forever, and he's a tremendous guy. But Lee Cunningham and Sarnia, Lee's a lot. Mm-hmm. Lee's a big reason why I'm here in Saginaw, uh, and and I really appreciate everything he's done for me in my career too. So uh, I don't want to get too far without mentioning those two guys either. Yeah, um, and I've been lucky. Greg Sloan's come on from the London Knights, the yep. TV guys, really good guy, and uh, two guys that'll be here Friday in Guelph, uh, Steve Bell and Manny from the Windsor Spitfire, great guys too. And this is another reason I would like to get into radio. Hopefully, it's not because of the fame or the money part of it i um, hope it's not for the money no 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 it's <laughs> everybody in this profession it doesn't matter if it was dan shawman or jerry Howarth or uh, ken daniels everybody has been really supportive of what i'm trying to do really encouraging and and that's why i want to get into it because a lot of there are a lot of good people in this industry it, it, there are uh and and what i've found over the years especially when I was younger, it's intimidating to reach out to those people that have that type of experience. Cause you, especially growing up, you know, in Detroit and you don't want, you know, you don't want to have a negative experience with those people because you looked up to them your whole life and, and you don't want it to be a a negative experience. Right. So in a way it's almost, you you rationalize it by saying, Oh, well, maybe it's better if I just don't reach out, but you have to reach out. Yeah. That's the only way. You know, yep. you have to reach out to those guys. And what I've found, I mean, I don't want to say 10 out of 10 because that's every, but you know, nine out of 10 times, you're going to get that full on support, no matter what level of broadcaster you're reaching out to. Uh, because the, what we all have in common is at one point in our careers, we were you, Chris, or we were, you know, we were in that spot where we were just starting out or we got that first gig. Now, how do I handle that? Or now I'm established in my career. You know, how do I handle that? So we've all been there and we're all in different spots in our career and we all have different advice to share. So what I found and what you're finding now is that in this business in particular, everybody's willing to share, uh, but you do have to ask. Yes. (laughs) You do have to ask. Yes. And, uh, Everybody thinks, oh, you're at home doing a podcast is easy. It's a lot of work. Um, you have to produce them. I produce all my shows. I do all my book guessing. I have to coordinate. Like I work at my current job midnights. So I have to be flexible with my uh, guest schedule and availability as well. And uh, like I said, I, I'm learning every day more and more about the industry from doing the podcast and with Rogers TV. Yeah, I mean – that's the one it seems prerequisite for working in this business is that you're you're bu- you're busy all the time mm-hmm. and really and the play by play aspect of my job is just the tip of the iceberg um you know there's the travel there's the day to day pr the pr side of it is bigger workload this year because of all of our schedule changes you know we there's a, there's the marketing side of it there there's all you know there's all these different parts of it that I think day to day people don't see or people don't understand, which is fine. I mean, they don't need to, they don't need to understand what the crux of my day is, but, but it's, it's, I think, you know, Oh, it must be great. You know, you show up to the arena at, at five 30 and you put the headset on and you call the game. Well, no, I spend about six hours a game prepping for that one game. And then when that game's over and we play at two o'clock the next day, I'm probably up till two, three in the morning or close to it you know, prepping for that game next day. So it's, it is a grind and, and, you know, there's 68 of these in the OHL. There's 80, I think there's still 82 in the NHL. It's a long year. And when it's all done, 
I, I'm usually out for about a week. Yeah, <laughs> sleeping. Definitely, and uh, that, and that's the thing too. Even doing Rogers TV, the setup, the teardown. There's a lot of work in a broadcast or a radio broadcast, and I've been able to see that with Rogers TV as well. Yeah, there's time. I mean, there's 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 all kinds of different work involved. There's manual labor involved. There, as you're finding out on the on the you know on your side of the camera, there's manual labor involved. This. It's, but it's I love a, it. I love it. It I is. It. It, you know, yeah, we're, you know, we're not sitting here making excuses. It's just all part of, uh, again, like, you know, I think uh, a lot of people when it comes to their consumption or what they think uh, television is, I think a lot of people just eat the sausage. They don't see how it's made. So, yep. uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to peel the curtain back every once in a while. And it, it, there's a lot of, if you're going to produce good TV, if you're going to produce good radio, you don't just put the headset on. Yeah. That's the crux of it. As Jerry Howard told me, the former Blue Jays broadcaster, do your homework and try to be prepared as much as you can. Chuck Swarsky told me that too. Doing your homework and being prepared is so important in this industry. It's it's everything. I'd, I'd even say over-prepared because you can always not use things. Mm-hmm. But if you come under-prepared, you can't make it up. Nope. So and- it's it, it, you're in a much better spot calling a game if you're over-prepared. And, you know, I, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big stat prep guy. I, I prep storytelling because mm-hmm. that's actually a spot in my, uh, broadcast that I'm trying to work on a self critique is, is a little bit better storytelling day to day. And, uh, so I prep harder or longer, I guess, for following up storylines, et cetera, than I do with stats. Uh, mm-hmm. I can read stats. You know what I mean? Storylines need to be well thought out and well executed. And, uh, and, and that's where I spend, but everybody's different. Uh, every broadcaster is different when it comes to their prep. It's whatever makes them feel comfortable when the light goes on. Absolutely. And um, I, Eric Smith from the Raptors, I had come on too. And when I first started this joy, the podcast, everything was all scripted in that. And Eric gave me some good advice. He goes, it's okay to write stuff down or what you want to say, but talk to your guests like you're at an arena or a stadium. And mm-hmm. it makes for a natural conversation makes for a better uh, podcast or even radio as well. He's hundred percent right. If you, if you try to script an interview, with questions, you're not really listening to the interviewee because you already know what you're going to ask them. It's more important to hear the answer and and sculpt the question from it than it is to sit there and rifle. Okay, that's yep. all right. That one's done. Yep. On to the next one. Yeah, because I then admit, it, yeah. yeah. I met when I first started this. That's what I was doing. But I've uh, been trying to. I, I've gotten out of that and and listening skills is huge sometimes a guest like yourself or uh mike stubbs you ask him one question it can give you the answers to five questions that you are going to ask go ahead absolutely and that's why i think i again it goes to uh preparedness for for these type of things because you're right you could ask me a question and i'd rifle off the answer to you know five of your 10 questions you had for me and then you're like "Uh uh-oh all the way down and up and now you've lost your place so it's just uh it's a, it's, it's being able to improvise and adapt on the run. That's, that's live Ab-li- TV and radio. Ab living, ab living and, and yep. just being ready for anything and everything. 
Definitely. And I try to be myself on here. And uh, and um, obviously, I get a lot of great stories from my guests. And then I try to relate some of my stories from my life on here as well. Storytelling, like you said. Sure. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Like a, a broadcast start to finish, specifically television, you have a little bit more time to inject these type of storylines. And this is why you have sideline reporters and, and things like that to really bring a story home. You know, a, a commentator could start it. Sideline reporter jumps in, delivers the story through with more detail. Boom, back into the play-by-play. -play. Uh, in radio, you're following the play. You have to be so descriptive. That takes more time. You don't have as much time for the storytelling side of it. And it's better that way because I tuned in to listen to the game. Now, if you're going to give me a story, that's fine. But the I want the game. That's why I'm listening. To, to the broadcast on the radio, right? So the game, time and score, et cetera, that trumps everything on, on the radio side of it. At least, at least in my humble opinion. I I mean again, you're you're talking to me right now. So this isn't Bible, but this is this is how I can only relate to myself. This is how my broadcasts go and this is what I see fit to be important night to night. And the one thing I do that that I I'm I try to do is I probably have 10 to 15 fans that I trust let me know what they want that I'll talk to twice, three times a year, just to make sure that I'm delivering what they want. Now, with that being said, you're going to get probably 15 different answers if you ask 15 different people, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to take that into consideration. Uh, but I think it's important. These are the people that listen every single night. If you're not delivering what they're there to listen to, then they're not going to listen anymore, right? So it's it's important. And the, again, these are people that I trust that can give me valuable opinions and advice. And and I don't listen every time, but sometimes if they give me something and I go back and listen to a couple and I say, oh, okay, yeah, that makes a little more sense. I, you know, I, I could I could talk more about the opposing team. I could integrate a couple more stories from the other team and, and educate our fans on what's going on over there in Kingston because we only see them twice a year. Things like that. And that's what I try to do with my guests, try to get some feedback from my guests and then from my uh, viewers as well, just what I did okay, what I did good, or what I could improve on as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a slippery slope, Chris. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, that, and that is pick people you trust to give you yes. that type of yes. advice, right? Yes. Because not yeah. everybody's going to be so kind yes. if you open it up to a, to a large pool yeah. of people. But uh, again, you, you'll know as time goes on, you'll, you'll know the people who are giving you real honest feedback and then, and then people who are either blowing smoke, telling you it's great when it's not, or the flip yeah. side telling you everything you're doing is horrible when, when it's not. So it's just finding that small group that you trust to, give you some honest feedback. And again, it's having the confidence in yourself to know and, and, and fish through what's, what's useful and, and what isn't. Okay. Are you still okay for a few more minutes, Joey? Of course. Of course. Okay. Um, I just wanted to ask you a few more questions. Sure. Um, how did you end up coming about the role of position of vice president of communications and broadcasting and play by play with the Asagana spirit? Originally, or just the, the promotion I got recently? Uh, originally originally okay yeah. 
Yeah. So I was, uh, I was actually in Odessa, Texas and, uh, you know, as a team, things were changing down there. We were in the North American league and, uh, it was a former pro market. And, and unfortunately at the junior level, they hadn't had a whole lot of success. Um, I think they're having a good year this year, which is great, but they haven't had very many good years since they went junior from pro. Um, and, you know, they felt uh, that they needed to make a change. You know, my first year there was 2013-14 and um, the person who hired me was was let go that season. And, and then by the time the 14-15 season was all said and done, every single front office position had changed except for mine. And so you can kind of see where this is starting to go as, as the year goes on, right? So uh, at the end of the year, we kind of, you know, mutually agreed that we were just going to go our separate ways. And so I was looking for work for the first time in my career. And that was actually the year that uh, the Plymouth Whalers were moving to Flint and having that previous experience working in Flint, I I thought it would have been a a pretty good fit. Um, I reached out to their president at the time, Costa Papista, who's a, uh, a really good guy. And I've gotten to know him real well uh, over the last little while. And, He's actually running the uh, Flint City Bucks, which is a soccer team there in Flint now and having great success. And the team's having great success, too. But anyway, long story short on that is is it didn't work out. It wasn't a good fit there uh, in Flint. But Costa knew uh, a couple people that had reached out. He had reached out to uh, about the job. and, And one of those people I knew pretty well. And uh, they reached out to me and said, uh, hey, you know, I, and I told them about the Flint situation. I don't know if it's going to be a good fit, but, um, looks like Lee Cunningham's going to Sarnia. That's his hometown. And and the opportunity came there. And so looks like Saginaw is going to be available. And it was the first time in seven years, you know, so Lee had been there for seven years and, uh, just, you know, went in and, and interviewed with Lee and, and had a good experience and then, uh, didn't hear anything back for about two weeks. So I wasn't, you know, super duper positive about it. I had actually interviewed with another team in the USHL and was was ready to take that opportunity. Um, but I'm from Michigan and saw and and really wanted Saginaw to work out uh, at, at the end of the day. And uh, when I did get a call back from them uh, to come back and do an interview with with Craig Goslin, who's the president managing partner, I jumped at it and we had a good interview. Uh, it went about two hours, two and a half hours, which was funny because we didn't even really, I mean, we talked about the job obviously, but I'd say probably 60 to 90 minutes of that was talking about life and what we see as important, you know, day to day and, and, uh, values, et cetera, and making sure that those lined up and it, it seemed like a really good fit from day one. So, uh, must be a good fit, you know, it's seven years later and, and things are going real well. I've gotten a promotion since then and uh, I'm a member of management now within the organization. And uh, it's it's been uh, extremely, uh, it's been extremely fulfilling to work for the spirit. And it's, it's a great group of people top to bottom, first class organization. And, uh, you know, we're just, we're coming off probably the most success we've had as a franchise here. I think, you know, we, we're in that cycle right now that it might be a tough year, at least this year, but we'll be back before it's all said and done. And because the reason we'll be back is because we have good people on both the hockey ops and front office side, and we won't be down for long.
I was going to say, and you guys are right at, I think right now you're currently ninth in the Western Conference, but there's a few teams just slightly ahead of you. So you guys still have a good good shot of getting that playoff spot, a uh, number between, I would say, six, sevenths, or eights. I do think the top five teams are pretty well um, determined, but I think the number six, number seven, and number eight spot are still up for grabs. From I agree I've with seen. you. Yeah, so. I agree with you 100%, Chris. I, I think there's... There's plenty of potential there and there's, you know, there's no real clearly bad teams. No. I mean, we just played Erie two times this weekend and split, um, you know, they're a pretty good team. They're, they're, you know, they're playing some of their best hockey of the season. You know, they, they had won four games in a row a, a week or so back. So there's no easy games in this league. And, you know, our schedule is going to get tough coming up. You know, we got the Sioux on the road on Wednesday. We got home and home with London this weekend. So it's going to be difficult here down the stretch because there's some pretty good teams that we haven't seen yet. Um, But it's a good, at the end of the day, it is a good learning experience for our players to play in some meaningful regular season games down the stretch. And hopefully a good enough result in those will lead to more meaningful playoff games and, and more experience. And, I think this year, more than probably any other year, I think there's potential for a seven to beat a two or a six to beat a three because of how crazy this year has been, travel-wise, et cetera. Um, I'm not sure there and, – and there's a lot of parity this year. There's no real top dog on either side east or west and i just see potential there if you can get in you could win a couple games you could win a series as, as one of the lower seeds this year i think this is one of my questions that i just i came just in my head now and I, I meant to bring this up with the other guys too a couple weeks ago with all the postponed games is this league going to be able to get all 68 games in uh, by the end of March and have the playoffs start on time? Or do you think they're going to cut some games from the schedule and then shorten the playoffs because there's still more games getting postponed? I just wanted to ask you about that, Joey. Yeah. The people who make those decisions are on a different pay scale than I am. So I'm, I'm actually glad about that because it's not an easy decision to make. No. Um, it's going to be tough to get 68 games in for some teams given some teams are affected by this more than others. Yeah. The storm went a month. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, that's okay. Storm went a month without playing and now they've played five games in eight days. And I'm like, wow. it's like, and, and then there were some teams that were able to still play a couple games right. uh, the past months as well. It, it's, ex- I think it's especially difficult, Chris, because not everybody's in the same boat. I think mm-hmm. that's what makes it more challenging. That's what makes it difficult for Guelph, who's in the midst of, of uh, you know, trying to win a division. You know, it, and some of the, the hard part is some of these teams have more to play for than others. Just quite frankly, I mean, I that's the that's the rub of the green. You know, you got some teams that are going down the stretch here trying to win a division. Other teams trying to sneak into the playoffs. It, the games are equally important, but you know. It's just, it's just, uh, it's a tough situation that it's going to be extremely difficult to not push back. Uh, But it seems like that's the direction here. Like you just said, they played five games in eight days. Mm -hmm. You know, we just played, I believe it was only our second three and three this year. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've been slated to play more, but we haven't been able to get them in. Uh, So it's going to be 
a grind here down the stretch. I do believe the idea is to have the season end on time, which for us, I think, is the first week in April. So, so I we'll just we'll go with that for now. And if something changes, I mean, I don't know how far back they could push because everything it, it's it's the Memorial Cup and then back. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can just keep pushing the regular season back because eventually you'll have no time to play all the playoff games. Because if the Memorial Cup is on that date, it's on that date. Right. So, yeah. Where do you go from there? Do you shorten the playoffs? It's not ideal. You'd like to play full on best of seven series, shorten the regular season. And maybe there's some teams that could have gotten in the playoffs that don't, or vice versa, you know, or, or you know, could have won a division but didn't. Uh, tough call. Yeah. It's a tough I guess, one. I guess this subject could be an hour long as e- well. Easily. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I'm just going to – you still got a couple more minutes, Joey? Sure. Yeah, fire okay. away. Um, I was going to say, do you um, – I'm going to skip to one question. Um, we've already talked about the return of the OHL. What I'm going to bring this one up because I want to know a little more about the Spirits. What are your thoughts on the 21-22 Spirit team so far and which players – uh, to watch out for when they come to Guelph, Kitchener, or whatever, to keep an eye on for your team? Well, what I think about the season so far is that, you know, obviously once the trade deadline came and, you know, our captain Cameron Baber is traded to London, you know, I, I I think I was actually surprised there wasn't more trades, but I'm, I was told, I, I've been told that it was very difficult to execute a, a, a large size trade this year, especially being in an American market, given the border situation, et cetera. Right. So, um, but uh, trading Cam Baber, one of your overage players, you know, playing the younger guys a little bit more, it's clear the direction of this team is is a development year. Right. So uh, with that being said, it's not so much about the wins and losses as it is, is getting, you know, some of these younger players, some reps and giving player, giving, unsigned or undrafted older players an opportunity to be signed right so this is this is what this year's turned into and you hope that at the end of it when it's all said and done you've done well enough to play around in the playoffs and and maybe surprise some people it's unfortunate where Saginaw is at because you could argue that the spirit might have lost the most during the pandemic you know you had the the conference final team in 1819 that that you know Series with Guelph was a hell of a series. Series with Guelph was was right down to the end. Oh, and, yeah. And you have to, you know, three with the series three to one, you have to feel that, you know, if Prozvatov isn't suspended, Murray isn't suspended, and Millman doesn't get hurt, that Saginaw wins one of those three games. So a little bad luck there. Yep. Then the next year, you know, you get the you get the midseason pandemic and it, it shuts everything down. And we had gotten some roster luck that year. We got Bodie Wild back from the American Hockey League. That doesn't happen very often. So we get some roster breaks there. We keep Perfetti. We got Suzuki at the deadline. That to me was a Memorial Cup caliber team. Never saw it in the playoffs because it got, you know, season got canceled. Then you lose the full season. And even that team, if you get Perfetti back, you might not get Suzuki back, but if you get Perfetti and Millman back, and then, you know, maybe Blade Jenkins is an overager, you know, et cetera. That could have been a, a division winning team. That's a big window in this league. Yeah. You don't usually see three year windows with, with hockey teams. 
but we never saw it. And that's that's the really you know challenging thing and and a little bit disheartening to say the least uh, that we didn't see that but um the good news is is you know everybody here on the hockey side of things feels like this is a group that can compete down the road it won't be tomorrow though and our fans have to understand that you know that this year we probably will take our lumps down the stretch we're playing some pretty skilled teams here to wrap up the season and but this is all part of it you know we weren't we weren't a great team in 2000, you know, 16, 17 either, but we missed the playoffs that year, but we came back. We we made the playoffs the next year. We got smoked in the first round by the Sioux, but that's okay because everybody learned what it takes. And then you come back the next year and you go to the third round. So you're just starting that cycle all over again. And for for players to watch, when it comes to players you'll see here in the future and and players that have potential to be here two two more years. I look at the draft eligibles in in Minchikov and uh, Pavel Minchikov and, and Matias Sapovalov as projected first round picks, and these guys are really really elite. You know, in back to back import drafts in the first round, Dave Drinkle knocking it out of the park. Not an easy thing to do from a scouting side of things. Is not only get your first round import picks to commit on back-to-back years, but to have them be elite talents is, is pretty good sign. And so Minchikov has been great. Sapaval has been great. You know, you get Lennox here this year and maybe hopefully an overage year, you know, he's a goaltender. So maybe the Islanders send him back to junior next year. Uh, if they do, Saginaw has a real chance again to be a, a, a good team as soon as next year. Uh, which is which is great to see, but you do need to see some development from your younger guys, and you do need to uh, make those incremental steps as the season goes on. And certainly, one thing you don't want to do and avoid doing when you're a development team is is going backwards in any area of your game. You want to continue mm-hmm. to see growth uh, throughout the year, even if that means you know win or loss. You want to continue to see growth, and I think by and large, we have. By and large, it's it's we've seen that growth. So I'm I'm excited about the future. Uh, this year is definitely a development year. Definitely, and I really thought that was going to be the same with the Guelph Storm being the youngest <laughs> team in the Ontario right. Hockey League. But but uh, their their young talent has developed, and and I might be a little biased here. I think George Burnett should be up for Coach of the Year, as far as I'm concerned. Well, right. And then on the recruiting side of it, you get past a job too. And I know that's not taken into consideration that, that he does both jobs for coach of the year, but to get to recruit past a job and then to coach up these young kids, George done a great job and he's a really good coach at this level and he knows how to get the most out of his players. And yeah, Guelph, you're right. I, I don't think anybody, myself included, had Guelph even in the top four of the conference when this, when this uh, season would be all said and done. So credit to the team, credit to the young guys and uh, Hey, they're going for a Midwest division championship here down the stretch, which for the storm fans, I I know that that cycle with, with Merkley early on, that was tough because it went a little longer. I'm sure than they would have liked. It seems like this cycle has really fast forward here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Guelph fans should be excited about that. Definitely. And I just got two quick questions to ask you, Joey. I wanted to ask you this one. 
I know favorite OHL arena besides Saginaw, obviously, to broadcast a game from. And and what's your favorite uh, away OHL city to visit so far in your career with the Spirit? Well, I'll probably get a little crap for saying this, but my favorite OHL arena besides Saginaw is Flint, and it's only because um, I'm I'm very uh, it's now I've called just as many games at the Dow Event Center as I have in Flint, but that was where I started my career. And, and I feel extremely comfortable in that building, um, going in, calling a game, the sight lines, etc. I know exactly what, what to look for. I know exactly what to expect. There's no surprises when we play Flint, uh, from a broadcasting perspective. And so I think more or less it's it's just a really really good spot to call a game from and when there is a good crowd there the atmosphere is really good in Flint uh and the games are intense when it's Saginaw Flint so we're treated to that too hopefully our fans don't get too upset with that answer but I, I favorite OHL arena other than Saginaw would be Flint uh to call a game favorite city to visit I like Owen Sound because of like because it's quiet and it's kind of picturesque. Uh, unfortunately, we don't get to spend a whole lot of time there. Uh, I, I kind of wish we went there more often. But um, one place we do go that I I really like Kingston. I like the I like the vibe in Kingston. It's kind of older, but it's 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 upbeat and, and there are parts of it that are newer. It's got a lot of history there. And I enjoy walking around the city and, and just everything. I, I really enjoy when we, and don't get me wrong with Saginaw, we only go once a year, but it's, I like the, the vibe in Kingston and I like walking around downtown Kingston and just seeing everything. It's a, it's a pretty neat city. Yeah. Unfortunately with the pandemic, we we're not going to see the Eastern conference teams this year until the OHL championship. And uh, I, I, I really would have liked to see Shane Wright play. Well, yeah, I, same here. We, you know, we got the chance to see him play in 1920. Thankfully, it was one of our last games uh, before the pandemic. I think it was the second to last home game we played was against Kingston. So I was lucky to get a view of him in our building and, and lucky to get in the game in Kingston as well. So, uh, but I, I haven't seen him play live in a while and I know he's come a long way since then even. And uh, wow, what a, what a talent and we're extremely lucky to have him in our league. I know we don't get to see him, but just to have him in our league and just putting on a show every night. And uh, I don't know, he's getting some criticism lately from people, which drives me nuts because people just love to pick at things. And uh, he's a great, he's a great player. He'll figure it out. If he's slumping, he'll be fine. Okay, and my last question I wanted to ask you, uh, just one second, I will bring it up. Um, actually, I'll ask you with my head, remember it. Any advice for those looking to pursue a career in broadcasting, TV, and radio? And where can my audience find you again on social media? Sure. Uh, this is the best advice I can give that people don't want to hear is you have to be extremely selfish in your life decisions to do this. And that's the stark reality of, at least if you're going to be working at the team level or the network level, being a broadcaster, you're away a lot. And it's much easier to start if you're single and young 
and can move anywhere in the in the country or outside the country and not have to think twice about it. If you have a family and you've laid down roots, etc., it's very hard to to do this job at a high level when you're still now if you're established, it's different. If you're established and you're in a market and you got roots down and all that, great. That's that's the that's the dream as they say, right? But getting there, yeah, you have to make some extremely tough decisions that some people might view to be selfish decisions. And that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I'm kind of in a lucky situation as I am single. I don't have uh, kids or whatever. So if I do one day get an opportunity in radio, I'm willing to move or go where the opportunity is. That's the biggest thing. You, it, you, when the when the opportunities do come up in this business, you have to take them. You have to you have to jump at them because they're few and far between, and you don't know what's going to be your big break, right? So you have to be open to every opportunity uh, that comes your way, and and hope that it's the right fit. And do your homework, do your research on the city, do your research on on the place. Uh, and, and in my experience in, 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 uh, you know, going different places in my career, I've reached out to people who have worked for that team or in that city or in that market. What's it like day to day? You know, because you'll get the, you know, you'll, you'll get the dog and pony show always, but what's it really like when you get in there day to day? And, and, you know, that's, that's the questions you need to know. Uh, so that you're not, you know, blindsided by something and you've moved halfway across the country and now you're, (laughs) now you're kind of stuck in a bad situation. So that's my biggest thing is, man, when you're starting out, you gotta be selfish and you gotta make very, very tough decisions and be able to live with them. Okay. That's great advice. And where can my audience find you again on social media, Joey? Uh, I believe all my all my social handles now are at Joey Botano. So uh, Instagram, I'm on. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I post some work stuff on Instagram, but I'm mostly. If you're following me for for OHL and, and spirit stuff, uh, Twitter at Joey Botano, and then uh, I also have a professional Facebook page uh, that's Joey Botano as well. So you can give me a like on Facebook too, and I'll, I'll I post periodically there too. Uh, but mostly for spirit stuff and OHL stuff, uh, Twitter at Joey Botano. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, Joey, I know I kept you a little longer than 45 minutes today. It's okay. But I want to say I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you and learning how you started up in the business and talking some uh, Saginaw spirit as well. And I really appreciate you coming on today. Well, I appreciate you having me, Chris. And I, was, and I appreciate getting a little background on you and what you're looking to do. And wish you the best of luck. And if there's anything I can do to help, advice, et cetera, let me know. Definitely. And uh, maybe in the future, I can have you come back on again and, and talk a little more about the spirit. And Absolutely. Uh, and I believe you guys will be in the playoffs. I have a feeling Saginaw will be in the playoffs. Well, I, 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 that's the hope, right? And and it's this is a good group. It's it's scuffling a little bit right now, uh, trying to find their way. But they will. And, and you're right. I, I, I do think this is a playoff team. Uh, but, but they do have to get over this hump. You know, there is something to be said about meeting adversity this time of the year and, and conquering it. And they have to do that because that's where they're at right now.
Definitely. We'll definitely keep in touch with you, and hopefully I'll get to run into you at the uh, Sleeman Center when you guys uh, visit the storm when I'm working with Rogers TV doing the camera work. That would be great. I'm looking forward to getting back across the border. I, I really miss going over to Ontario. The people are great. They treat us so well, so I, I can't wait to get back, hopefully soon. And I have a family in Michigan, and I, I can't wait to, to be able to go over to Michigan and, and visit my cousins in Taylor, Michigan. Yeah, I saw the Tigers hat, so I, I, I appreciate Huge that. Tigers, Pistons, Red Wings, Michigan Wolverines, every team in Detroit except for the Spartans and the Lions. Well, I don't blame you on the Lions. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, have a good night, Joey, and have a great game call tomorrow night in or sorry wednesday in the sioux and then uh good luck against the knights on friday and saturday night all right chris thanks for having me thanks joey have a good night buddy you too anyways guys i hope you enjoyed my podcast tonight with joey Batanio. uh he is the uh, vice president of communications and broadcasting and their play-by-play voice of the ohl's saginaw spirit as well and before we go i'm just going to play a little video clip of some of joey's work on here so you guys can see some of his work Saginaw Spirit are back home here at the Dell Event Center as they get set for two big home games coming up this weekend. Saginaw Spirit and the Sioux Greyhounds. I'm Joey Botano. I'm joined in the broadcast booth by Dennis DeRoger and uh, Rosie 4-1. The Spirit come out, but it was their specialty teams that really won them the hockey game. 7-7 seven for seven on the penalty kill, and they go 1-2 for two on the power play, and the power play goal is the game winner. Well, Joey... Yeah, and I think it showed early. You know, they were met with a little bit of adversity off the first shift, and, and Chris Lazary even mentioned, you know, he, he didn't get off to the start that they had wanted to. Obviously, you know, Ratcliffe scores there 40 seconds in, but it was almost like uh, that goal kind of took the pressure off Saginaw a little bit. On the left wing. Goal, his first of the playoffs. Score! Tip it! Corner, three quick ones for the Spirit. They lead it three to two. There goes Homer. That one's hit high in the air to left center field, and it is over the head of the center fielder. Homer rounding third. He's going to try to score, and the throw goes over the cutoff man's head. It's a triple for Lada, and Homer scores. It's six to four here in the bottom of the eighth. Gone. Couldn't clear. Six on four now for the Spirit trying to tie. Wild shoots. Blocked by Torpchenko. Tippett kept it in. Tippett shoots. Missed. Rebound back to him at the right point. Wild shoots. Goal! They tie the game. Cody Wild. One and one on Proctor. That one's drilled the right. Say goodbye. Way back. Out of here. Three run home run for Proctor, and that puts the Sugar Beats ahead six to three here. Saginaw dangerous here. Perfetti one timer. That one blocked. Buzz Decker behind the Guelph net. Centered it in front for Perfetti. Picked off there by Suzuki, oh, and then go. he gave it away. Perfetti moving in, he shoots, he scores! Oh, what a play! 
Ross, the voice of the Saginaw Spirit, Jerry Botano, and uh, Joey, I tell you what, uh, record-setting year for this ball club here. Uh, tell us a little bit about how much of a pleasure it's been to broadcast this team. Well, it's been a it's been a joy, as you can imagine, when a team wins this many games and this many points. Uh, hasn't happened here in a long time. For about this game tonight, Joey Botano, voice of the Saginaw Spirit, joins me. Now, Joey, I hate to play devil's advocate, but the Spirit had chances to close out the series without forcing a game seven. They dropped the last two games. What do you attribute those losses to? Well, I don't think they got enough shots on goal. When you look at it, they had 20 shots in, in game five and just 19 in game six and, you know, really didn't protect their young goaltender the way they had hoped. So, you know, game seven, the slate is kind of wiped clean here. You have one game and it is on home ice for us. So hopefully uh, the guys can come up with the best game of their lives here and we can uh, hoist that trophy. Ethan Cardwell made his OHL debut on Friday night against the Erie Otters, scoring in his first game. The Curtis Ontario native will hope to continue that coming up this weekend. Yeah, you know, uh, at the time I didn't know it was going to be the game winner, but, uh, you know, it's pretty cool uh, just getting the first game in and uh, being with the boys and, uh, you know, the win was huge. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's it was huge for me and uh, knowing these guys for the month I spent here earlier on in the year, which would, was really nice. I felt really comfortable coming in and, uh, you know, hoping to keep that going throughout this weekend. Anyways, guys, that clip was courtesy of uh, Joey Botaniel's uh, YouTube channel. And again, you can follow him on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Joey Botaniel as well. So I uh, just want to say thank you for everybody watching this live on YouTube. Please subscribe if you haven't. Thank you to everyone watching on Facebook and Twitter at Christy Pome as well. And just going to read some comments here. Dick, thank you for watching. Appreciate it. And Ted, thank you so much for watching. Appreciate it. And uh, I really appreciate everybody watching, Ted and that. And uh, let's see, Mason, great interview. Thank you so much. And Dick, uh, can you save this podcast? Yes, my podcast will be saved on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and also downloaded on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. And let's see, Darla. Hi, Chris. Hi, Darla. So thank you for watching, Darla. And let's see, Dick, you wrote a great Twitter piece on broadcast work. And, uh, yeah, great guest to have. And let's see, Mark Richardson, great guest. Thank you so much. And Dick, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Joy. Well, like I said, I appreciate everybody watching. And uh, just to let you know, my next Live with CDP podcast is going to be tomorrow night, Tuesday, January 25th at 4 o'clock. My guest is going to be Mookie Hawkins. He's a sports director for Power FM and WFOA, FO. Uh, 1080 a.m. in Buffalo and Mookie is also the beat reporter for the NFL Buffalo Bills so we're going to talk about Mookie's career in radio and working in the Buffalo market and we're going to also uh, uh, talk some Buffalo Bills football and his thoughts on the Bills uh, 42-36 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs uh, yesterday in one of the greatest uh, NFL playoff games of all time as well. So uh, Mookie tomorrow at four and then Wednesday night guys at seven o'clock, I'm going to have Mike Hogan, uh, the longtime uh, radio voice of the Toronto Argonauts coming on uh, live with CDP podcast as well. And also guys, just to let you know, live with CDP podcast, the audio version is downloaded to Google podcast, anchor FM, Apple podcasts, breaker pocket casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and LinkedIn as well. And let's see, guys. Um, 
Also, uh, I was going to say, uh, I'm going to try to talk to Mookie about what his thoughts were on all the playoff games, including the Bills game uh, yesterday against Kansas City. Josh Allen has proven me wrong. He is an elite quarterback. Uh, to me, the best quarterbacks in football right now are Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow as well. Uh, and when I talk to Mookie tomorrow, uh, we're also I'm going to give you my predictions on the AFC conference game and the NFC conference games as well. We got the Bengals and the Chiefs at 3:05, and then at 6:30 we have the uh, Niners and Rams at 6:30 on Fox as well. So, all right, guys, uh, I hope everybody has a great night, and uh, look forward to tomorrow's show at four o'clock with Mookie. Uh, from Power FM in Buffalo, and uh, we'll break down, talk some Bills football and NFL as well. Uh, so, anyways, I hope everyone has a great night. Thank you, everybody, for watching live with CVP Podcast and listening uh, later on on audio as well. So, again, thank you to Joey Batano, uh, the voice of the Saginaw Spirits, for coming on live with CDP Podcast tonight. Have a great, great, have a great night, guys, and we'll see you tomorrow at four o'clock for another edition of Live with CDP.